All right, we're going to open God's word. Uh, even though we are scattered, God's word, I, I trust and pray that it comes and, and brings hope to our hearts, even where we are this morning. So if you would open your Bible to John chapter 17, as we continue to walk through this gospel of John and the farewell discourse. Uh, guests who are with us, I just want to welcome you. I know that there are a number of people around our city and some churches that don't have any kind of online possibility. And so I know of some believers in our city who are a part of other local churches who are tuning in. Uh, wh- wherever you're from, why ever, for whatever reason you're watching, it's a, it's a joy to have you with us. And I pray that you, along with our whole faith family, I pray that you come away encouraged and filled with hope in God's word. I think John 17 has hope for us this morning. I hope you're going to see that. So many have said that uh, if the whole Bible were a temple, if you think about it metaphorically, if the whole Bible were a temple, John 17 is the holy of holies. In John 17, we hear God the Son addressing God the Father in prayer and praising him and talking about, Jesus is talking about his ultimate aim, his ultimate purpose. He's fellowshipping with the Father in the hearing of his disciples. He's praying for the disciples. He's talking about things that you don't hear in other places in scripture. For example, Jesus talks about the relationship that he had with the Father and has enjoyed in Trinitarian fellowship in eternity past pre-Genesis 1. It's just, it's awesome. It's deep. It's glorious truth. And and I hope uh, by God's grace, it runs to our rescue and holds us up when our world feels like it's shaking right now. So would you follow along as I read? I'm going to read the first 17 verses of John 17. We're going to come back. I'm going to read just for context, the first uh, five verses, but I'm going to come back and address that more particularly next week. But let's go ahead and read it right now. John 17, follow along says this, Jesus spoke these things and he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that scripture may be fulfilled. That's a reference to Judas. 
Verse 13, now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So this is a passage that is heavy with the realities of what it's going to mean to live on mission for Jesus and for his glory in a fallen world, right? This is a call to arms. He uses that kind of language in the farewell discourse from John 13 all the way up until the way that he's praying for them in John 17. So again, remember that the context of what we looked at last week in John 13 through 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for for battle. He's preparing them for a storm that is encroaching. And so that's why last week's message in John 13 through 16 had those, was summed up in those words, uh, get up, calm down and move forward. Those were the essential words that Jesus is giving to his disciples. You know, if you ever ask the question, what would Jesus say to his followers in an hour of trial? You don't have to guess because we have John 13 through 16. And if you ever wonder, how would Jesus pray for his disciples when they're facing trials? We don't have to guess because we have John 17. This passage allows us to hear how Jesus prays for us in moments of trial. So, so what I hope we're going to see is that he is equipping his disciples and he is giving them truth. And in this text, I, I, I trust that we're going to come away by God's grace with three things. So a fact, a resource, and a promise. A fact, a resource, and a promise. Uh, this is the first point. Fact, you are treasured by Jesus. You are treasured by Jesus. Uh, my, my dad's prayer life had, um, had a rhythm that was familiar to everybody who lived in our house. So we knew that he prayed in his study at the office at the church uh, in the mornings. And then he faithfully every night prayed after we went to bed he was up in the front of the house. We had a dining room area. There was a piano there. There was a lamp and he would turn the lamp on. And the, so you just see this dim light coming from around the dining room. And then down the hall were all our bedrooms. And uh, if you would go to the restroom or for whatever reason, go down to the end of the hall toward the front of the house, uh, there was the bathroom. And, and if you stopped late at night and you cupped your ear, uh, you could hear dad praying. And I, I remember that. It was a it was a formative experience for me to come to the front of the hall and listen in as my dad prayed for us. And I heard him say my name and I heard him say my brother's name and my sister's name and my mom's name. And I heard him pray for members of the church and he, he prayed for the sick and he prayed for the lost and he prayed for the dearest thing on earth to him was the congregation that he led uh, there in New Orleans. Um, and in John 17 though, you, you amplify that by a thousand times because the one who's praying that we get to cup our ears and listen to him pray is God himself. The son of God is praying for someone and we get to eavesdrop on that. And there is, there is tenderness, much like I remember in my dad's voice. There is tenderness in his voice, in his words. And the wonder of it all is as you cup your ear to John 17 and you hear the son of God praying, 
you hear your name. Believers in Christ, you hear him praying for you. You hear your brothers and sisters, your, your spiritual siblings. You hear him saying their names in the presence of God the Father. And what is he saying? So he's, he's using very intentional language. He's talking to the Father and over and over, you can just look down into your text. You might want to underline it later on or circle it. But he uses the word given or gave. He's saying, you gave them to me. You gave these disciples to me. Verse 2, verse 7, three times in verse 6, he references to these were yours and you handed them over to my care. So in other words, whoever Jesus is praying for in John 17 The language that he uses to describe this group of people is that they are a gift to to him. They are gifted from the father into the care of the son. That's why you see down there in verse 12. I was protecting them. I guarded them. He's using that language throughout. I protected them. I guarded them. I watched over them. I gave them your words. So um, how does Jesus, we know this if we know the gospel story. How does Jesus ultimately protect his own how does he guard the church in the most ultimate sense Jesus guards us by saving us from judgment we we deserve Daniel was talking about that just a moment ago when we were singing together he shields us the great hymn that was sung rock of ages cleft or opened for me let me hide myself in thee, let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. We are shielded, we are guarded by Jesus. He saves us from judgment, He covers our guilt, He covers our shame. If you're a Christian, you know this story. It's the story that you learned the day that you believed in Jesus and began to follow Him. So there is inside the phrasing of John 17 and this prayer is tucked gospel realities. For example, look in verse four. I have glorified you on earth. He's talking to the father. I've glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. It's, um, it's a pale analogy, but imagine you, you text a friend and you, you say, can you do me a favor? And your friend texts back the word Done doesn't mean they've actually done it. They haven't even, in that particular case, they haven't even heard what the favor is that's going to be asked of them. But they say done, not because they've already done it, but they say done because it's as good as if it's completed. It's a promise. It's a pledge to do it, right? Jesus says, I've glorified you by completing the work that you've already given to me. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks when we look at John 18 and 19, but the wheels are already in motion. Judas has left. He's going to be back in a minute. Jesus will be uh, arrested and tried and beaten and executed. But, but Jesus is speaking as though it's already a completed act. In other words, in John 17 verse 4, Jesus is saying, there's nothing that's going to stop me from saving my bride. There's nothing that's going to stop me. Right? Remember where the farewell discourse began in John 13? It's the first words that are said in verse 1. It said, having loved them, his own, he loved them to the end. So everything in John 17 is downstream of this reality of the love of God in Christ for us, for his church. He says, Father, you you gave them to me. I guarded them. 
and he says, and now I'm coming back to you, Father. And what does he say as he's coming back to the Father? Verse 11, Holy Father, protect them. Verse 15, protect them from the evil one. What, what do you sense Jesus is doing here? Is he has received this gift from the Father to care for these his own. The Father has given them, given us to Jesus and Jesus is cared for and guarded. And as Jesus goes back to the Father, he hands, he carefully places his disciples into the hands of the Father for protection. Just think about this in the situation that we're in right now, how comforting it is to know that we are in good hands. The Father's sovereign hands. The Son doesn't lose any that have been given to him, he says to us earlier in John's gospel in chapter six, we are in great hands. And Jesus is interceding for us, for believers. Friend, take this to heart. Christian friend, as long as Jesus is praying for you, you can never be lost. And maybe the next follow-up question is, then he better be praying for a long time, right? Well, what does scripture tell us? It tells us that Jesus, our great high priest, ever lives to make intercession for us. As long as Jesus Christ is praying for me, I can never be lost. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. There's hope in this text for us. Even in moments like these, especially in moments like these, we remember these truths. Here's something else that Jesus has done for his disciples when he was with them. He gave them, second point, a resource. You have a resource. You have the truth. Um, I just want to be real about this. I, I trust this isn't just my own life, my own story, but so often uh, when we face trials, the voice in our head that interprets reality for us is the voice of unbelief. All right, so we walk through an intense trial and without even thinking, we hand the microphone to unbelief and we say, interpret reality for me. We say, what, give me your thoughts. Tell me what's going on. And what does unbelief say? Unbelief says, okay, I'm glad you asked. You're all alone. Or I'm glad you asked. God isn't listening. I wonder why that could be. Even, even in accusatory tone, maybe you're familiar with the way that unbelief will strike a tone of accusation. Like, um, how come you're not stronger right now? What's wrong with you? Other people seem to be held up right now. Why are you falling apart? right now, right? In this same speech, the farewell discourse, John 13 through 17, Jesus will say the key to bearing fruit in every season of your life is he says, this is what you, you need to do. You need to abide in me and you need to let my words abide in you. And then we need to talk. You need to ask what you will and it shall be done. He's saying, let my words abide in you and start talking to me. I'm going to give you my voice and then I want you to give me your voice. I want you to talk to me. I want you to pray. In John 8, earlier in the same gospel, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here in verse 7, look at it there. I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed you sent me. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word. And then verse 17, your word is truth. Um, I, was, I was so blessed a couple of days ago 
John Tice and Phyllis Wright from Brook Hills Kids Ministry, they posted a video for, for the children that they care for. And they made this video in order to keep it going, right? To perpetuate that Brook Hills Kids, we're still memorizing scripture. We're still internalizing God's word. So I want you to just watch this with me for a second. Hey, boys and girls, I hope you're all doing very well at your home and doing your very best to stay, uh, you know, positive and having fun, having fun getting along new, with siblings, learning new ways to do yes. things. And of course, working on your Bible memory verses. Yes. So here's the deal. We want to encourage all of our boys and girls to memorize their Bible verse, which is the new set. So it's the fourth set that you receive and then make a video of yourself quoting it. Okay. Do you think if we do that, then when we all get back together, we kind of keep track of who made videos and then we let them get into the treasure chest? Sure. That'd be a great idea. All right, we could fill it up with even cooler things than we have right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All so right. how about since we're asking them to do that, Miss Phyllis, would you like to go ahead and start? I would love to. Okay, go ahead. All right. I'm going to try. All right. all right. I'm doing the second grade verse. I am a light for all to see, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. I trust you. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. How'd I do? How'd I do? Well, I wasn't looking at the screen, but I, it sounded right. Well, I messed up a little bit. sounded like you but did But that's well. okay. All right, so my verse is the fifth grade verse, and it says, now this is the title. It is now this is love. Yes. First John 4, 9 through 12. And it says this. It says, Miss Phyllis, I just lost it. Well, it's all these faces. They're scared. It is. All Everybody right, so, all needs right. to smile. God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love, God, oh, I'm messing it up, Miss Phyllis. Come on, you can do okay, it, Pastor right, John. Right. Love, love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God so loved us this way, then we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love remains in us, and his love is completed in us. That was really good. I don't know. I think I messed it up. This is morning. this normally the one in the other version that has the word propitiation? Yes, propitiation. Oh, I miss yeah, kids yeah, saying yeah, that. Yeah. I love it when they That's say right. that word. So, boys and girls, you can even send us your videos. And if you mess up in between, don't 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 keep it pressing pressing stop and restart. Just send Just us what you that. have. All right? See you so it's a work in progress, right? What I love about, about that video is, is we want, right, as, as parents, as families, as, as Brook Hills Kids Ministry, we want our children to be able to stand up in a storm. And so what do we do? We do exactly what Jesus did for his disciples. He wants them to be able to stand up in a storm. And what does he say? Father, I've given them your words. I've given them a resource, the truth of your words. Sanctify them. Your word is truth. Look, at the end of the day, the only Christians who will still be standing are Christians who are standing in the truth. 
That's why we do kind of what we're doing right now. We dig into God's word because we want truth. We, we know we're transformed by truth. We know our minds are renewed by the truth. We know Psalm 119, the longest song in all of the Bible. And what is it? It's a reflection on the power of truth to situate the soul, to stabilize the soul, to bring joy into our lives, to transform everything about us, right? And, and what does Jesus make clear here in John 17? That it's, it's the word that transforms believers and it's a word that centers on the person and work of Jesus. Jesus says, I've given them your words. They know that I was sent by you, Father, right? So we believe as, as Christians, what is at the center of our creed, the center, what's the ground, the rock that we stand on is the, the truth of the gospel that Jesus came, God the Son, the Word made flesh, and he lived here and he taught here and he performed miracles and he affirmed the truthfulness of, of sacred scripture. He performed miracles and signs that testified to his true identity that he indeed was and is the son of God. And then he died on the cross in our place, bearing our shame and our guilt and our judgment, bearing the condemnation of countless billions of those who would believe. And then this is the gospel story goes on right into this good news of three days later, he rises again from the dead, victorious over sin and death and hell. And then he ascended to the right hand of the father. And from that place, he, from that throne, he wields authority over the nations. He is bidding the nations to come to him. And his kingdom is extending through the proclamation of the gospel carried by the church of Jesus Christ. So that everyone who repents of sin and turns in faith to him for forgiveness will Eventually, right, he's returning again. We'll reign with him forever in a glorious, renewed creation, a renovated world. No COVID-19, no cancer, no suffering, no tears, no pain, just glory and the shining of Jesus' glory to the four corners of the world. It's a glorious truth, right? This is the center of the Bible. It's the center of the Christian faith. It's the hope of the believer. Like maybe you've never... You might be watching this and you've never actually believed that message from the heart. You've never turned to Jesus and said, here are the keys to my life. I want you in control. I've run it over into the ditch. I'm giving you control. Please forgive me of my sins. Please transform my life. Be my king. Be my Lord. Be my savior. Uh, have you embraced? Have you embraced this gospel, this savior? Look, I'm looking at a camera. I wish, like I said last week, I wish I was looking at a room full of people so I could look you in the eye and say, turn. You don't know what you're missing, right? He just wants to come, forgive your sins, grant you eternal life and give you and, and be your Lord and be your king and be your shepherd and be your guard. I, I can't get to you and say that to you and look you in the eye in that way. But Jesus, uh, he's not, subject to the social distancing mandate that the rest of us are subject to. So I, my prayer this week, even though I'm thinking about this text, my prayer is that Jesus would move into your space. Even now, he would breathe life into you through the truth of this gospel. And what does he start doing the day you believe? So say you believe right now and you say, yes, I want to follow. What does he start doing? Well, we know from John 17 what he starts doing. He starts giving you words, giving you truth from scripture to stand you up in a storm. Brook Hill, so here's one thing that we want to practically do, starting even tomorrow, is we want to start a daily drip 
for our church. Um, I, I want to meet you along with other pastors from our staff. I want to I meet you every day in the word. And we're going to have brief times each day. We're going to hear God's words and we're going to speak them back to him in prayer. It's just basically, it's just kind of a pastoral visit. Insofar as we can come, a pastoral visit, and we're going to bring a Bible with us. We're going to pray. It's not going to be a sermon. We're going to bring a Bible. We're going to read it. We're going to pray to him so that he is continually grounding us in the truth. So a fact, you're treasured by Jesus. A resource, you have the truth. And a promise from Jesus that goes like this. Yes, you get trouble, but you also get me. Yes, you get trouble, but you also get me. I almost named this message quarantined by grace um, because throughout these first 17 verses of John 17, Jesus is saying quarantine type language, right? I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these, this group, right? I'm, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. So it's a spiritual quarantine. It's not a physical one. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And then he even uses the word in, in verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart, quarantine them with the truth. That's what Jesus is doing. He's establishing, he's setting his church apart and he's praying for, for their protection, for them to be guarded. It, it's interesting how Jesus speaks because for most of the chapter, he's using the language of leaving. I guarded them. I protected them. Now I'm coming to you, Father. But at the end of the chapter, look down at the very last verse of John 17, down in verse 26, he talks about his ultimate aim, the big one. What, here's what I want the most, he says. Verse 26, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. So when you're eavesdropping on this prayer of Jesus and you ask the question, wait, is he about to leave and go to the Father or is he going to be with us always? The answer is yes. He's going to do both, right? How, how can he do that? Well, you have to be God to pull that off. And the good news is Jesus is God. Jesus can ascend to the right hand of the Father and pray and intercede for us while being with us every moment, never leaving us and never forsaking us. He can be with you, even though you're quarantined from everybody else, you're not quarantined from Jesus. He is near to his people as we call on him. Remember the, um, the purpose language that, that Jesus used in John chapter 16 when he said, I'm going to tell you why I'm saying all this stuff to you, disciples. In verse 1 of chapter 16, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So everything in these farewell words in the upper room that Jesus says is meant to stand believers up when their world is falling. He's saying, I don't want you to fall. So I'm giving you these words to charge you, to stand you. And in the last verse of that same chapter of John 16, Jesus says, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Our family has done uh, read-alouds to our kids over the years. And one particular vacation, we just grabbed a stack of books by Katie DiCamillo. And we just read one after another, Tiger Rising and Because of Winn-Dixie and 
the, the Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane, which was the first book that I read to the family, and I had to stop and collect myself because I was overcome. It was just such a beautiful story. Anyway, we read those, and when the kids were a lot younger, we were reading those stories, and she's got another book, and it's called The Tale of Despero. Interesting thing about that book, if you haven't read it, is um, the narrator continues to break the fourth wall and talk directly to the reader. So the narrator will be talking about some story or some aspect of thing that's going on, and then they'll stop and say, reader, do you notice what love is? Or reader, do you notice what consequences do? So it's almost like there's this, this breaking of the story narrative to tell you, don't miss the point. I think in a lot of ways, that's John 17. That, that sort of thing is going on. In John 17, verses 1 through 17, God is whispering something underneath this prayer. There is this, there is this sentence, there is this statement, and it's, it goes something like this, I think. Uh, God is whispering through all of the words you're reading there in those first 17 verses. He's saying, you belong to someone, and that someone is me. You belong to me. The, the Father gave us to Jesus, and Jesus guarded and protected, and then Jesus hands us back into the, the perfect, providential, caring hands of the Father. Author Philip Yancey never met his dad. And when he was a teenager, when Philip was a teenager, um, he found his mom in the house, and his mom had a box and had pictures spread out on the floor, and she was looking at it, and, and young Philip uh, just sat down next to her, and he's looking at all these pictures, and he sees pictures of himself when he was even younger, and he sees his first, a picture of his first day at school, and, and he sees a picture of him with a pony, and then he sees this other picture of him when he's a baby, Philip, when Philip was a baby, and it's kind of crumpled up, and it looks like it's been through the washing machine. It looks like it has just been through a lot, and, and he looks at his mom, and he says, why, why did you keep this tattered, crumpled-looking picture? Well, so here's, here's the story, the backstory is that uh, when Philip was born, his father was diagnosed with polio, and so he had to be separated from the family, quarantined off. He, he spent the last three months of his life in the iron lung. So he was in this machine, um, and, and children weren't allowed on the polio ward. So the only person that the dad could see during those times was the mom, and the mom came with pictures. And so they would clamp to the top of this iron lung machine, and she told Philip, she said, your dad clamped that, we clamped that picture up for your dad to look at all day as he lay in that polio machine, the iron lung. He just looked up at this picture of your brother, this picture of your sister, this picture of me, and this right here, picture of you. And Yancey said the experience was so profound, discovering that someone I had never met loved me and cherished me and just stared at this picture of me all day long. And later, Yancey would say he had a similar experience in college when, when he realized that Jesus Christ whom he had never known before and never met before, he said he realized he loves me. It changed everything about his life. That discovery is going to change your life, right? That discovery stabilizes our hearts. It gets us through hard days. That's why I love the text that Daniel was reading to us earlier from Romans chapter 8. No one, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That has gotten the church through many 
difficulties over the last 2,000 years. You know, when the, when the Scottish reformer, the great Scottish reformer John Knox was dying, in the closing weeks of his life as he lay there on his deathbed, he asked them to read John 17 to him every day. So for weeks, every day, they opened the Bible next to John Knox and they read him the prayer of Jesus because he knew this Savior loves me. The Father loves me. I know, I know two pastors who said this week, uh, I was on a three-year streak with no panic attacks and the streak ended today. I saw them post that earlier this week asking for friends to pray. Church, how's, how's your soul? Are you anxious? So many of us, we're, we're wrestling with this. We're aware of this, right? It's, it's, like I said last week, COVID-19 isn't necessarily the number one problem and crisis in so many of our lives, but COVID-19 certainly isn't helping anyone with other varieties of crisis because it's isolating us. There's all kinds of renewed weight and stress. I have good news from John 17, and it's this. Someone loves us. Someone who is sovereign loves us. Someone who is good, someone who is faithful loves us. What, what some of you, some of us need to hear is God saying, you can go to sleep. I'll stay awake. I'll stay up. Cast your cares on me, right? He can hold us steady through every trial. And how does he do that? He finds you this morning at your home address, literally. And he says, I've got a fact. I've got a resource and a promise. The fact is you're treasured by Jesus. The resource is you've got truth. You've got my word. And the promise is, yes, you get trouble, but you also get me. Church, Jesus is Lord, not only of the present, he is Lord of the future. He, he's already, if you will, he's already standing in what we'll soon call Monday, waiting to show his faithfulness to us. He, he is there. The song that was sung has been sung for years and years by the church. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And it predicates all of that on this truth. Because I know who holds the future. Believing that by faith won't necessarily change the circumstances, but it'll change us in the midst of it. It'll, it'll hold us up even when it seems like the world is falling.